is Caribbean Power Lunch, where we feature Black-owned businesses. I'm your host, Kevin Valley, and today we are talking about branding, personal and business branding. How do you get from being somebody only your friends know to a household name? And with us, we have an expert with over a decade of experience in the field. She is now a branding consultant. It's Jamila Bannister. How are you today, Jamila? I am fantastic, Kevin. <laughs> uh, and thanks so much for having me as a guest on your show. Appreciate it. Yeah, appreciate you coming over. Appreciate your time. Welcome back to the Captain Studios podcast. Well, you know, Jamila actually helped me get this apartment. <laughs> yes, it was... it's true. It's true. I did. I did. I did. If it wasn't for Jamila, there would be no Captain Studios. It would just be a regular apartment with a microphone. It would just be a, I don't know. <laughs> Apartment B studio. <laughs> <laughs> so Jamila, you are a branding expert, you're a branding consultant. You've started your own practice, what, three years ago? Yeah, just about. It has evolved a lot since that time into what it is now. But I'd say it started about that time, yes. Okay. What I like to call this first segment in my head is the why should we listen to you segment. Alright? So but I don't want to read your bio too much. So just tell us a little bit about your background and how this came about. Well, okay, well, my background in terms of professionalism and work has always been in the area of communications. My first degree was in communications, and I went on, I did an MBA, and then I recently went back to school a second time, and I did a master's in management with project management. So I kind of married communications with business, with strategy and project management. Two masters. To be honest, I really felt the need to go back to school to learn about... I just felt like there was more I needed to learn. Because, okay, so let me just take you through my timeline. Graduated undergrad in 2008 from University of the West Indies. Immediately after that, I started working as an OJT in the Ministry of Trade and Industry as a communications assistant. That's on-the-job training. Yes, on-the-job training. It was actually really good because it gave me exposure to government policies, communications in a, in a government environment, but also put me in touch with a lot of senior business people. Who was the Minister of Trade at that time? At that time, it was Mr. Mariano Brown. Mr. Oh, okay, Mr. Brown. Okay, okay. Yeah, okay. Mr. Mariano Brown, he was the Minister. And my father used to have that portfolio. Yes, he did. He was he was assisted by Minister Lenny Safe. He was also a minister there. Right, right, right. Um, so, having the experience working there, and thankfully I had a boss at the time. Hey, Tanya, Tanya Kai, hope you're listening to this. <laughs> Who always gave me the opportunity to experiment and do new things and try new things. I must say that in my time in working, to be honest, I've always had the fortune of having really nice supervisors. Well, this is after graduating. Before, Excellent. not so much. <laughs> but um, <laughs> after, I've always had that experience. And because of the fact that I worked in communication, which is a field basically dominated by women, I would usually be under the stead of a woman. Senior Why woman. is that though? Like, this men can't communicate? <laughs> I mean, you know, I hope I don't sound politically incorrect when I say this. Say it. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's just a few dominated by women. Probably, men probably think it's a softer skill. Even though, in my opinion, many of them need some training communications-wise. Yeah. You know, they tend to go for the, the STEM subjects and that kind of thing. But from where I sit, it doesn't matter which field you're in. You need the communications element. I agree. And by undergrad days, there were many, many engineering students who did not graduate because they could not write. And writing is one of the most crucial elements of any professional's life. 
You know, it's one of the basic tools you use to communicate. And for me, exams are a breeze. I saw people doing them once, twice, three times, you know, when they want academic probation simply because they could not do it, you know. So for sure, as much as people might think communication is probably, ah, oh, that's easy because, you know, we do that every day. There are lots of people who can't break down the mechanics of that. Right. So if they had to do it in a professional capacity or if they had to kind of teach somebody else, they wouldn't really know the building blocks of it. But fortunately, I was able to kind of learn from my, my manager at the time. And I had a good foundation of That's the Tanya. degree. Yes, Tanya. All right, Tanya. And during that time, you know, I, I had the fortunate experience of being seconded to the Fifth Summit of the Americas, which is also a fantastic experience as well. You know, I meet other senior communications people. We expand your network. So that was also really good. After that, I moved on and I went to the Trinidad to make a police service. Again, government, but so this was a promotion from the Ministry of Trade. Yes, so I moved on. So I mean, fortunately for me, I never made a linear move. All my moves took me straight to be like this. So I started a communications assistant. Lovely. Then I moved on to public affairs officer, and I mean the environment there very different. Paramilitary organization, very stringent, also very particular in terms of what went out into the public, what was good for public consumption, what was not. Also, trying to be a civilian unit. And a civilian unit that was mainly women instead of an organization that was a paramilitary one dominated by men. Okay, so the Trinidad and Tobago Police Service is a well-run, efficient well, organization. They got to the Trinidad and Tobago Police Service. <laughs> yeah, look, give them a little bigger. <laughs> we won't go into that. But um, from a communication standpoint, you know, we were happy to be able to have the chance to actually make an impact because there was one person actually doing the communications in the police service before the unit was established. And given the size of the service and the scope of the job, one person could never, ever actually complete it. So I was happy that we were able to kind of get in there. And that was a lot more about reputation management and stakeholder confidence. And so the communication took on yet another personality, another side to it. Because trade was more business-oriented. The stakeholders were different, you know. Um, Business people, ministers, diplomats, ambassadors. With the police, you know, it's public. I mean, everybody's a customer when you're in the police service, you know. You have the internal people, you have the external people. So you get the experience dealing with business people and with people at the individual level. Of course. And all these various personalities. And and, and different levels of social strata as well because a lot of that job has to do with a lot of outreach, community outreach. So engaging with people, engaging with people who we call grassroots on the ground, you know. Understanding their message. and My people. (laughs) <laughs> also understanding the message at a higher level or a businessman who may have concerns crime-wise, you know. Sometimes we even did things like, you know, people who would come to the police service looking for police officers to be in movies, to be in plays, you know, and all those things were things we kind of had to deal with, you know, because we were basically first line of contact with the public. So we had the opportunity to kind of see things from multiple perspectives, um, being the first point where the media made contact, being the first point where the public made contact. If they had any inquiry, they would call us first, you know. While I was there, to be honest, it was my hands that started the Twitter account for the police service and the Facebook page for the police service. So in the very early days, you know, we were feeling a lot of questions and I must say, it built some level of patience and also made me realize I could never run a Facebook page full-time. Serious? <laughs> no, I can't, I can't, I can't do it because, I mean, one gets very frustrated with the questions that come in. 
And anybody who has ever run a Facebook page knows what I'm talking about when you put information out there and you put everything in the post and people still ask you when, where, how, what, why. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because people don't read. Yeah, of course, <laughs> right? People don't um, read. And I'm happy to see that the, the Twitter account and the Facebook page are still going strong and it's not been joined by an Instagram account, which is even better. Excellent. Right? So, so you started a movement there. Yes, because I was responsible for external digital as well as internal digital through the intranet. I also did a lot of speech writing. We also did a lot of uh, other types of writing, article writing, publishing stuff for the paper, report sanitization that we would send out to the media. Sanitization. I love that. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so that was another perspective that we had. Working there, and we made a lot of friends. And also, let me say hello to all my people in the police service, all the officers who, who still know me and who are still there. And so that was three years. So that was good. Then, coming down to the end of it, right place, right time, I would say, I would call it serendipity. I used to go to the gym. And there was this lady who was always super, super friendly. For a long time, we talked because we were working at the same time. And when it came time to change, get ready for actual work, we would always chat in the bathroom, you know, girl chat. And I got to understand that she was actually a military officer. She was a commissioned military officer. So she came into the ranks at a senior level. And because I worked in the police and she worked in the military, we kind of talked about that. Talked about the things we had in common. I always told her, you know, that I'm ready to move on. I feel like I've outgrown my space at the police service and I was ready to like move up and that kind of thing. And she said, you know what, the opportunity will come, it will come. And then one day she came and she said, do you think you could manage a uh, communications unit? So I said, of course. So then she said, well, you know, there's a vacancy that's coming up. I think you should send your CV in to me. I said, all right. But in my head, she said this to me. And in my head, I'm thinking, all right, I'll send it. The next day she comes, she's like, you didn't send the CV. I said, oh, you wanted it immediately. She's like, yes, you're wasting time. Right? So I sent it to her. And one thing led to the next. And the rest is history. I got the job. It was so amazing to... And I highlight these people who just give you these little pushes along the way. You'll never, yeah. you'll never forget them. And it's, it's like yeah. everybody through everyone's journey, there's always somebody, some people along the way that's nudge them in the right direction. Yeah. And, and I mean, she and I still remain very, very close up to today. Hi, Adlin, Adlin Griffith. I consider her almost like a sage. Yeah. You know, a sage almost and advisor. Like a mentor. Yes. If I have a big decision to make, I generally give her a call if I want some advice on something. She is somebody who has. Lots of years of experience, and she's somebody who I consider to be very wise. And again, as a woman, being in an environment that was dominated by men, she stood out as a military recruit. She was voted the second best performing recruit when she actually passed through training. She always had an attitude of excellence, and I like to surround myself with that type of thing. Yeah. Good, good. To, 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 to have her as somebody in my corner, and she actually was my boss. She actually did a really good job for me refining a lot of things in my head and refining me as a communications professional. And working with her made me actually see where the gaps were in my own understanding of things. I mean, I only spent two years at Beacon Insurance and I mean, it was a great two years. I really appreciated it. Every moment this I spent You were the corporate, corporate communications manager at Beacon Insurance. Yes, I was the corporate communications manager there. Again, this type of communication was much more strategic. So whereas government communication was much more about reputation management, it was much more about community outreach, it was much more about stakeholder relations. This was very much about business growth, business strategy. It was tying into brand and brand image. So it covered things like a lot of things like corporate social responsibility, 
a lot of things like sponsorships, establishing relationships, quite a few things it covered. I mean, branding from a physical, like signs and so on, physical point of view, branding collateral, and anything else that affected the image and the tone and the voice of the company. But each position I took up, I got into a different, it's almost like a multidimensional shape. I got to see a different side of the communications um, arena. So again, coming on, you know, I would have worked on, you know, being exposed to things like strategy. I remember the first week that I was there, she came and she told me, Adeline, that is, she came and she told me, she said, okay, well, at the end of this month, we have to present to the managing board and communications is your area. So you have to come up with the entire plan for the year. <laughs> Adeline just threw it into the defense. Totally. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm watching her like, me? Me? You want me to present to the, the C-suite? Me? She said, yes, you know, this is the job. We have to do it. All right. So, um, needless to say, I was a little nervous, but I told her, I don't know what I could come up with. So, well, I mean, I sat and I racked my brain and I came up with some stuff and she kind of guided me through and turns out that our unit, myself along with my other colleagues who had customer experience and corporate marketing was actually the best. We actually turned out to be the best presentations and so on. So, so yeah, we were kind of happy about that. Give me a small clap there. <laughs> if I don't get so sweet, a clap too. <laughs> So, yeah, so it was it was really nice to um, have that experience. So, Beacon was an insurance company where the insurance company made the business off of people getting in accidents or people avoiding accidents while paying premiums, right? You said you pioneered the Facebook account for the trying to make police service, but yeah. you also pioneered something for, for Beacon, right? Well, okay, this is how I like to look at it. An insurance company basically helps you manage your risk. What we want to do is ensure that you're okay. But at the same time, understand that life is made up of risk. And there are times that you would need the support of an insurance company. I like to think of them as a silent friend, so to speak, right? <laughs> yeah. But while I was there, one of the things that I was able to kind of bring to the table was the Beacon Sober Zone, which was a huge one for me because it did something that other things didn't do in an insurance context. What we basically tried to do is we put ourselves in events and gave people the opportunity to sober up because I mean our culture especially around carnival time because what we wanted to do is to find relevance inside of the carnival context because I mean insurance isn't the sexiest thing out there you know if an insurance person calls your phone you know you tend to want to kind of like run away like no no not this time I can't deal with you Mm -hmm. now but for us at the time it was really about making insurance very warm very welcoming and almost making it sexy young youthful and we wanted people to be drawn to us as opposed to running away from us and a big part of that meant that we had to go where people were. Again, coming back to the strategic side of things. So in doing that, what I felt was important, Carnival is a huge part of our culture. I don't know, for those of you who are listening all over the world, yes, Carnival had just completed in Trinidad and Tobago. And it's a huge time for a lot of brands to kind of get their products out there, to get them get themselves out there, get their names out there. So it's a prime time to be on the scene because you're seen by a lot of eyes. However, it was difficult for an insurance company to really break into the carnival context because, I mean, the financial services sector is a little bit more straight, straight jacket, yeah. more, you know, rigid. suit and tie, the rigid. Carnival is totally different to that. You know, you break away, you have a good time. You know, you eat and drink to your heart's delight. And you dance to your heart's delight. <laughs> so for us... Finding out the balance between the two was important, and the sober zone allowed us to do that. So it was a setup where we would set up in FETs, and a space would allow people to come and basically sober up if they had too much to drink, 
We gave them a few things to eat, things with salt that we felt that we know it had them sober up. Doubles, of course. Interesting. Interesting. Water, and we used it as an opportunity for branding. So we branded all of our water. We branded the tent that we used. Right. We had pamphlets about our products that we put in packages for people. And we also partnered with Arrive Alive to do breathalyzer tests on the spot so people would know what their blood alcohol limits level was, sorry, at the time. So that if they had to sober before they actually started to drive or if they had to get uh, somebody else to drive. So it was our chance to find relevance in the carnival space, but also maintain a responsible type of image, but also being engaging because we were out there with young people. And for me, it was about demonstrating that we cared about people being safe more than we cared about them getting an accident and getting their money. So from that point of view, I mean, the reality is if you crash a vehicle, we made money. For me, it was more important for people to be safe. And I think for Beacon, the message of caring and the message of us being an engaging company and we cared about people was important to be communicated. So that particular effort fell squarely in line with the image we were trying to portray and the brand we were trying to build. Apart from all the other things, you know, I think that was one of the things that stood out. And I believe it is still done up to this point, even though I'm not there anymore. I didn't see it for Carnival, but then again, I wasn't really out for Carnival too much. Uh, But I believe it is still a part of the entire branding program that they have. That's good. I mean, it's good that you launched this program and it's still continuing to this day and saving lives. Even yes. though we can't count so many lives to save, but yes. it's saving lives. Uh, so you had a you had a good thing going on at Beacon, right? And then you I got did. you got a you got a scholarship to go to England to do a master's in project management. Yes, I did. Well what happened is that you know things were changing at the time. Um the dynamic in Trinidad and Tobago was changing and I felt like my role needed a little bit more development. Okay. Me personally, in terms of what I knew and what I learned. Because even though I would have done the MBA, for those of you who would have studied outside of your home country? You know, it's nice to have a perspective that's different to home because I would have done the MBA here as well. Correct. So, Adeline, same Adeline, I'll talk about her again. She always talked to me about the law of attraction. And she always talked to me about putting things into the universe and having them come back to you in a particular way. Especially when you set up things by virtue of your speech, your thoughts, your actions, and the people you surround yourself with to be able to kind of bring a certain reality into your space. Now, I always wanted to live in the UK. I always wanted to have a chance to do that. I remember applying to go to grad school since 2009 and my friend and I both applied and she went and I didn't because I couldn't afford it. And then in 2014, I had an opportunity to go there on vacation for the first time. When I went, I came home and I told my mother, I said, mommy, I could live in this place. It's so nice. And then the next year, I got an email in my inbox saying scholarships are available, etc. I said, well, I've got to lose. There's an opportunity to learn, which I always wanted to do. And it's an opportunity to live abroad, which I also always wanted to do. And I did both. Within 24 hours of applying, I got the approval that I got the scholarship 100% funded. 24 hours of applying? Within 24 hours of applying. Well, look, thing. When I got it, and I, I went and I told my boss. <laughs> she literally had a tear in her eye because she said, I don't want you to go, but I can't stop you from having your dream. Right. But I was happy that I was able to kind of go and do that. And it was a really fantastic year. I met a lot of nice people. And I learned a lot. And the strategy element of what I do now was influenced a lot by the degree I did there. Because everything that I learned there was based in a strategic thrust in everything that you did. Whether you studied PM, whether you studied medicine, whether you studied engineering, whether you studied branding. 
that degree prepared you to think in a much more strategic way. So I was glad I was able to do that. And after completing that degree and returning to Trinidad, I was able to clearly marry the communications to the, to the strategy. It was no longer about getting a message out there, forgetting a message out there sake. But it was really about thinking, okay, how am I going to position a brand or company in such a way that people would be attracted to it and people would think and people would feel what I feel. People would have a clear concept in their mind as to the type of company this is. Because there are some people who want to start a business and their concern is making money. And I know what, everybody's in business to make money. So I can't even be upset about that. Yeah, that's like the default, right? Yeah, of course. You know, you're not in business to shake hands. You're in business to make money. However, there's always a way to deploy resources in a manner to make them more efficient than just kind of throwing things out there. You want to be very targeted with the thing that you're doing, very specific. You also want to make sure that what you're doing is effective. So you don't want to have many different thoughts running through your head and I want to make money and I want to do this and I want to do that. You know, some people start off with a very large vision and because they don't streamline things, they find themselves putting out a lot of effort and then the results are don't compare. Yeah. I feel like it's some people have that kind of big picture capability while yeah. other people are able to be meticulous and in the finer details. It's really yeah. hard for one person to marry both capabilities. Yeah. Would you say you're one of those people who could marry both capabilities? Well, I can, but I do have a preference for big picture stuff. I do have a preference for that. But one of the things I do love is I like to kind of map processes because I think that is the devil is in the details in that sense. I call myself a business and branding strategist and I always talk about credibility and visibility. Visibility comes from people seeing you, people knowing that you're around, people seeing you in specific places, your ideal customer and the ideal people who want to buy from you seeing you in the relevant spots. And then the credibility part comes from your operation being able to support that. Your operation being able to complete a process to deliver a positive experience, to deliver a complete experience. So in marrying those two, from where I sit, you have a complete business because you can't put a message out there saying you're delivering X, Y, and Z, but the internal processes don't support that. So you'll only end up with frustrated customers at the end of the day. And if you're doing all this work, and nobody knows you have no sales. So you as a business owner will end up frustrated, wasting money, spending things. So they both have to come together in order for customers to be happy and in order for staff and business owners to be happy. Okay, you mentioned your ideal customer. Yes. How would you profile your ideal customer for J Bannister Branding Consultancy? Well, my ideal customer is somebody who understands that there are deficiencies in their brand operation. They are ready and willing to change. So they're they, not a know-it-all. They're not a know-it-all. They understand that they are not an expert in that field. They understand that they need support and help. They understand that the process will be uncomfortable. That's one of the things I, I want to touch on and laugh a little bit later. Most importantly, they have put down a budget for it to happen. And that goes beyond paying me my fee. <laughs> <laughs> Your fee? Yeah. It goes, it goes into... Being able to have, have to recalibrate things, because sometimes recalibrating things mean you have to spend money on systems or in- instituting new processes inside your business. It also means that you're in it for the long haul. You do not expect things to change overnight because your business wasn't built overnight. Your brand wasn't built overnight. A business can't happen overnight. 
It means that you're ready for all those things. You are open to advice and you're open to hearing. Because there are people who come to me telling me, I want to be on TV. I want to get on the radio. I want to do this. I want to do that. When I ask them about what they're doing, it sometimes it's up to me to tell them, well, that is not what you need now. What you need now is to build up your reputation a little bit more strongly so that when I see you on the TV and I said, wow, I like this person. Let me see what else they have going on. And I go online, I can find you. You are not a ghost in, in the digital world because that is what people make an assessment on now. If they can't find you, you do not you do not exist and you are not relevant. So essentially, you could build a nice garden and let people come to it. Or you could go chasing people to, and tell them to come back to your yes. garden and your garden rock. Yeah. What you want to do is you want to have both things going on at the same time, right? But, um, but most importantly, I definitely want to touch on that element of being open to change because one of the most difficult things for people to do is to accept that what they are doing is not working. They will know they need the help. They will know they want the change. But when the change starts to happen and it puts them out of their comfort zone, a lot of people tend to act like turtles and they pull their head back into the shell. They're afraid and they don't want to make a move. And, but I can guarantee you, I always tell people, trust the process. Allow things to play out. Allow things to be fleshed out. So I, I, that my ideal customer, and for everybody who's listening, your ideal customer is not somebody who, please, don't, smell, don't waste your time running after people who you have to convince about your services. If people mm, want your man. services, they will, trust me, they will come to you. Do not undercut yourself in terms of price thinking. It will bring people in. No, never do that. Some people may apply a discount or sale for a temporary time. That is really a promotional tactic, right? That is not a strategic plan. So don't undercut yourself when it comes to that. Don't ever devalue yourself and what you can offer to win people because ideal customers do not require you to do that. They value you. Absolutely. They they value what you can bring to the table. Now, this also means you need to deliver on what you promise, right? It doesn't mean that, you know what, I charge this and that and when you, you don't deliver, it doesn't mean that at all. But once you are confident in your ability to deliver a product or a service, do not undercut yourself or do not undersell yourself or undervalue yourself. A lot of new entrepreneurs do that all the time because they think, you know, I just want to get the customer. I just want to get the customer. You know, maybe if I if I adjust my price or maybe if I accept calls at all hours of the night or maybe if I answer immediately every single message that comes into Facebook, Consultants, especially, meet people for free for the first time. And what do you think about that? Yeah, I wanted to get into that because I mean, I, I kind of like that uh, free for the first time. All you prove your value, then they pay you later. How do you feel about it? Well, okay, so I kind of started off in that mode. Now, of course, you know, everybody will have their tactics that they would use, but I would definitely say that as a consultant, especially as a new one, you put out resources to meet people, whether you go to a place. Or whether you drive in a car, you take an Uber, a taxi, or whatever. You pay transport costs. If you spend time researching their company to be prepared for your meeting, that is a consulting cost. All of these things add up. And for somebody to sit with you for an hour or two hours, pick your brain, so to speak, and then they take your idea and they try to run with it on their own or they get somebody to do it, it's basically you giving away your, your, you giving your skill away for free. Remember, consulting is about time. When people sit with you, they are buying your time. They are not buying a physical product, but they are paying for your expertise and your ability to crystallize what they cannot crystallize, to see what they cannot see, and to tell you what they think they might know, but they're really not clear. As a consultant, you sell time. So to do that, 
And to give away your time for free, I would never advise a consultant to do that because you're basically giving away your business. But okay, let's say in that one hour, you give them the advice and they say, well, they could probably try and run with it. But can they really execute it? Like, oh, you'll be able to help them execute it if you were to hold their hand and walk them through the process? Probably not, which is why they would have sought my advice in the first place. Right. But some people, you know, you kind of have to let them be. You definitely never try to force people to... And that's one thing I've kind of learned, you know. Of course, you know, with each experience, you kind of learn something new, each mistake. So, like, there was this one person who hired me on a Tuesday of one week and fired me on a Saturday of the same week, right? Which And I mean, up to this day, she and I are still cool with each other. But I got to realize that I cannot make things happen overnight. Well, she can't even work fast enough. Well... She was a little frantic because she was expecting sales to like dramatically increase in a particular Between Tuesday there. and Saturday. <laughs> well, let's put it like this. But she's selling she and I were, fried chicken. <laughs> she and I were in conversation for about three weeks prior to her actually officially hiring me. When I when I say hire, I mean paying money. And in that three weeks, I would have done an audit on her business. I would have come up with a plan of action for her and so on and so on. And there are certain things, but even in that process, and I was kind of learning a lot about consulting a lot about businesses and ID placement for certain things. So when she hired me and then on the Saturday she was upset about something and she fired me, to be honest with you, it was okay with me. I think it, it got off. Easy. I, I think it was okay with me and it was okay with me because I felt that it was probably the best decision for her to make because I think the path we were going down, it may not have resulted in anything too fruitful. So I learned I left, I learned. Good. I was appreciative of that lesson because it, it allowed me to see where I need to draw very, very clear lines about what expectations should be. And I think expectation management as a, as a consultant especially is important because, you know, there are lots of people who think, well, I'm paying you this money. And in our culture, I find very often if people cannot see something physically or they cannot touch it or feel it, it's difficult for them to understand what they're paying for. It's difficult for them. So a consultant... Difficult, difficult for them to see the ROI in there. Yeah. So the, so the ROI for them needs to be... Tangible. Tangible. It needs to be like a neon lights <laughs> uh, you know, in front of them glaring in a, in a type of way. But the reality is when you are restructuring a strategy for a company or you're working on somebody's visibility or bra- it is going to take time. But even something as simple as... Because part of what I do includes PR. Even something as simple as that means that I need to liaise and leverage relationships to get people on TV, radio. Sometimes there are things I write, whole stories I write, and I send it to the press and then they never get published. But there are certain things I have no control over. In a case like that, I now have to think of an alternative means to get that message out there. Whether it's, you know, publishing it on a website or on a blog or somewhere so it could be seen. And those things take time to negotiate back and forth, etc. You know, but somebody who isn't in that field may not kind of understand why is this taking so long and why is this like this and why didn't they publish it? You know, so you kind of have to kind of walk people through yeah. certain things for them to understand what is going on. And that will kind of apply to almost every aspect of customer service, right? Yeah. They don't know what's going on behind the counter. They don't exactly. know what's going on on your screen. Exactly. Yeah, and so I think having a particular type of reputation as a brand helps you in situations like that where everything may not be going well, but because you have built up goodwill in the market, because people say, you know what, Okay, they made a mistake this time, but generally they are this type of brand or generally they are this type of company. It helps you bounce back and it actually gains you a lot more respect. If you are a company 
that acknowledges when things go wrong or things are not the best. Yeah. But you know that, you know, you may have dropped the ball and you, you can actually say, here's what, it's our fault and we are willing to accept responsibility for, for that. So, how was it starting out your brand and consultancy and getting your first few clients? How was that client acquisition process for you? Well, how was that challenge? I see you take a deep breath. Say, <laughs> <laughs> well, to be very honest with you, when I was in the UK, I did a, a makeup workshop because I'm also a certified makeup artist, right? Right. So, I did a makeup workshop in the UK. It was really fun. I had a good time doing it. And when I came back home, my intention was to do consulting at some point in time. But to find a job, right? Okay. Because I said, you know what? I need to rebuild my capital reserves and so on and so on. Right. As capital life reserves, ha- I like that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you watch us. As life would have it, it's been almost two years and I've, I haven't gotten a single call for a job. So I had to create my opportunity. After spending about two months watching Netflix, waiting for my phone to ring, I, I said to myself, I said, no, you need, if you cannot repurpose this information that you learned, all this money that you spent, because I mean, yes, scholarship, yeah, but there were still other things I had to pay for myself out of pocket. Uh, And you cannot use this information to earn yourself a living. Why did you even bother to leave here and go to school? You just wasted the entire year, basically. So I told myself, I said, okay, I need to get myself together. So I I basically planned a PR campaign for myself. I was in the paper, I was on TV, I did a workshop, and it was good. So you made yourself a client? I made myself a client. And I said to myself, if I can do this for me, I can do it for other people. Because there are people who would love somebody to write a nice story on them and love somebody to organize some airtime on TV for them and organize some airtime on radio for them and get them on a blog. Or, you know, the hottest media people to interview them. In my mind, I am always biased towards the story being told. That is what branding is, really. In any aspect of managing a brand portfolio, or your brand architecture, the story being told and the way you do things is what people fall in love with. People love to hear how you got to this point, where you fell, how you got up again. People love that, you know, and art is, art is cool. And art can be really sexy, but I am very biased towards storytelling. and people Authenticity. Who, absolutely. So I told my own story. And people liked it. And they came to my workshop. <laughs> I like your story too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, it was, and it was good. And, you know... I had such a good time doing the workshop. I said, I said to myself, I said, okay, this momentum is great. Let me keep doing it. And then there was a lull. Then I had to go back to the drawing board. Okay, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do that? And then clients, you know, and then clients. And then, you know, I started to work my network. And then I got an opportunity to do consulting for a year with a uh, local fitness company. And that was also pretty good, you know, kind of taking them from being disorganized to being, I mean... So your role there was what? I was a business and branding consultant with them. I had them reorganize the internal operations because publicly their brand seemed to be doing well, but they were bursting at the seams internally from the point of view of organizing themselves properly. So I kind of went in there and I remember one of the guys saying to me, after we had a meeting, we had an initial meeting, he said to me, you know, it was really impressive how you, you were able to diagnose the problems just from that one conversation, I said, because I know what to look for, right? I know the questions to ask. And there were certain things I immediately put into play because as a business, you know, there are certain things you can't be operational without. And the year proved to be really good. People saw the difference in what they did. People felt the difference. I think they also felt the difference. 
to be honest with you, a year definitely wasn't enough. And there were other things that came along. I had people asking me to do PR for them. I had people asking me to do other consulting for them. So that was like a launching pad for you then? After the lot of struggling to get clients, after you got that one-year contract, you had, yeah. you had a lot of people coming to you now. Your garden was built. Well, it was being built and it's still growing. More people were asking, you know, and even through them, you know, there were opportunities that came. Opportunities range from fitness, entertainment. Another branding person actually asked me to help them with something that they were doing. But their area of branding is visual. My area of branding is strategy. Okay. Right. So I kind of helped them understand where they needed to put the effort. So even though we were in the same field, and that's the thing with branding, it's so large, you know, people could be on two totally different sides of the spectrum and know they need help from somebody else in the, in the industry. Definitely. In, in doing that, you know, and, and part of building the brand too is my sip and strategize session, which I kind of came up with as, a, as an opportunity for people to have a space to discuss brands and ways to build themselves and their own business. Okay, so you focus on sip and strategize is branding. It's branding and business building. Okay. And it really is a conversational series where like-minded people come together and we talk about... It's almost like learning through osmosis. Okay. Because when we come together and we sit and we speak, definitely we exchange ideas and, you know, who may be using a particular tool or a particular service. And through that exchange of information, people make friends, they connect, and projects and collaborations actually come out, you know. It's not anything too heavy or... We sip, we sip, we strategize. You That's sip, it. You sip wine, you sip rum, what do you sip? Anything you want to sip. <laughs> Podcast, well, I'll be sipping. <laughs> <laughs> anything you want to sip, because we normally host it at a lounge. So anything you want to sip, you can get. When I actually started, all of the invited guests, nobody showed up. <laughs> this was this was when? It was like September? This was like September, October last, uh, 2017. Okay. Right? And only two of my very close friends came and even turned into us Talking about other things. Nothing to do with... But you said. We didn't say. <laughs> All right. We didn't say, but we didn't strategize that either. Um, the next month, about six, six or seven people showed up. But that's a lot. Yeah. That's an increase up. by... Well, I, I wouldn't do the math now, but that's, yeah. a, that's a big increase. <laughs> right? That was 200%, right? Right. And then the following month... So it's a monthly series. Monthly. So once a month, we do it for two hours. Six people showed in December, and about 10 people showed in January. Well, so it started to grow and now I'm in February and normally it takes place on the first Wednesday of every month but because Carnival was this month people were basically in a different type of mood. Right. I'm hosting mine on the 21st of February 2018. For those who are listening to this podcast after the 21st of February it's still on every month the first Wednesday in every month you know just keep track of me on social media. Okay. Follow me on Insta. For people who are not in um not in Trinidad. Yes. To join virtually. They could sip from home and they could <laughs> Skype in or something. Well, is there, um, is there a way? Well, not right now. My website will be launched very soon. And okay. uh, once that is launched, you know, there will be an opportunity for us to do uh, virtual stuff. And I will definitely be posting resources for people to be able to read. And, you know, but in the meantime, what they can do is they can track me on social media via Instagram at JB underscore branding. I'll link it up in the show notes. I think so. I can't remember the exact reason. <laughs> yeah, I'll link it up on LinkedIn. You know, I write a lot on LinkedIn. Yeah, I know too. you're very active on LinkedIn. So people can read what the things I write and they can comment. You know, I like good interactions. I like to hear people's opinions. And also on Facebook as well, right? The website will be launched soon, so that's also a spot where people can get resources. Okay. 
Simple strategize for the month of February is actually a working dinner edition where people will receive food as well. And it's a specific workshop designed to assess people's brand position and help them kind of re-strategize where they would like to be. So it is It is not just a discussion where we kind of learn from each other. It is very specific and it is very targeted to helping people. So people will be walking away with something tangible and a guide after this three-hour session. Nice. So, so it's a three-hour session. You're getting dinner. You're getting your sip, whatever you want to sip. Yes. So, okay. The cost of the session includes the things you want the, to sip? The cost of the session does not include the drinks, but okay. it does include, include the food. Okay. Uh, but because we're in a lounge, we can't bring drinks in. We have to buy from the lounge. Right. Uh, but it does include the training and it does include the food. And we'll be running from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. on the 21st of February at the E Upsitopia Lounge in Port of Spain. All right, that's down. That's on Richmond Street by the park. Richmond Street by the okay. park. Yes. Great, great. So it's a nice after work kind of event. Yes. So this, yeah. So it's an after work. I don't want it to be too heavy. Um, I just want people to kind of come straight there. And, and the thing of it, a lot of the people who come to me, a lot of people are entrepreneurs, so they make their own hours. Right. A lot of the people are people who run businesses already. However, if the brand that you want to work on is your personal brand, feel free to come in because branding on a personal level and branding on a company level is pretty much the, it's pretty much the same, the same thing. Right? Yeah, it's the same thing. But of course, the goals will be different. Right. The tactics will be different, but the strategic movements will pretty much be the same thing. As you say that, right, can you just kind of walk us through the process of how a person or a new company yeah. can go from being only known within their social circle, let's say they only have their two friends, <laughs> 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 to becoming what's essentially like a household name. So yeah, people like Google, YouTube, or even new newcomers like Uber or local players like Massey. Yeah. How, yeah. how do they go from being Kevin to Caribbean Pomelot? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there are a few things that all brands need to do in order for them to grow. One is having patience because it will take time. Being consistent. Being consistency is key. Uh, have you ever seen a stone being carved out by water continuously running through it, running through it, running through it? Or a path being made by people continually walking on it through grass? It works the same way. If you are inconsistent with your output, especially in the digital world where things are born and die very, very quickly, it is very easy for people to forget you. So consistency is very crucial. Delivering on your promise. Delivering on your promise. Do not tell people that you can do one thing when you know you can't. If you said you can't do it, make sure that your system is refined enough for you to do so. Do not try to do too many things at once. Take your time and build one block at a time. Companies like Google and companies like Uber, they took a lot of time going back and forth refining their product and refining their when Google refining their products. Everything was launched at the same time. The same with Uber, you know, they took their time refining the things that they offer. It was just requesting a ride and they turned into booking a ride and then turned into UberX and you know Uber and you know so take your time. Don't feel like the world is running away and you can't tap into certain opportunities. There are things that you would wish you had the capacity to do. But if you don't have the capacity to do it, instead of trying to force yourself to do it and then failing, know when to say no. Not every opportunity is for you. Not everything that you see, you could actually be a part of. Not everything is for you or suitable for you. It may seem so, but 
not everything is that way. And I would also definitely say, trust your gut. Your gut generally doesn't, I mean, I have to learn that the hard way. But if something doesn't seem to fit in with the direction in which you want to go, where you want to take your brand, the image that you want, people that you want to align yourself with, the message that you want to get out there, if that is something that you feel deep down inside is not good for the direction that you want to take yourself or take your brand, don't do it. If it, if it makes you feel uncomfortable, it's probably because it really isn't suitable for you or for okay. your business. So essentially what I'm getting from you is that, so they're basically, I don't know, four facets of this. So first one is maybe who you are, so your, yeah. your story, your beliefs, maybe yeah. your image, what you know, so your specific skill sets and all of that. You're saying that and what you create, so how you deliver on your promise, whatever medium you use, be it your website or your blog or so, and who you know, so it be it your, your clients, yeah. your, your following, your subscribers, yeah, yeah. Who you know is very customers. Yeah. Okay, great. You had a quote that I pulled up from your Instagram that really resonated with me. It's a long quote, but I'm going to read it. Okay. <clears throat> Reading voice time. <laughs> Brand development requires an ecosystem approach. Yeah. That is everything working in unison for sustainable growth. Yeah. Brand reputation is as much about public relations as it is financial management. Now, for the benefit of the listeners and me, can you just expand on this? Because it's interesting that you mentioned balancing both public relations and financial management. I feel like many people, they have one or the other. Okay, so let me take the first part of the quote first, right? You must have a systematic approach to branding. You can't be exposed in a couple areas. If you really want to be able to take yourself forward, especially now where people's attention has been pulled in so many different directions, right? You have to be placed in many different spaces to be seen. Placement is no longer a storefront or a shop window or a flyer. That's no longer good enough. You know, you need to have a digital space. You need to have an online space controlled. You need to have an offline space controlled. So if you're blogging, you're on LinkedIn, you're on Facebook, you have your website and your website is up to date and it is current, you keep your, your Instagram up to date, your Twitter, wherever you are on social media, on your website, keep that up to date, keep it relevant. Also, try not to do too many things in the digital space so that you find your, your digital footprint kind of spotty all over the place. It's noisy. Yeah, manage what you can. Don't do too much, right? In the offline space, you need to manage that as well. This is about your network, who you're talking to, who you're meeting with, the events you're attending, the types of messages that you're putting out there, the types of charities and so on you may be affiliated with, you know, the types of things you're sponsoring if you're a business big enough to sponsor. The type of people you partner with, you know, you have to manage your offline activity as well. The way you dress, the way you speak, the way you behave. What is the ABCs and the attitude, the, the behavior, the communication, and with the D now is digital. So you kind of have to manage those two things together and everything has to work in an ecosystem in order for you to be able to make the biggest impact. You know, so you're kind of coordinating the same message across the entire space so that people don't see you online. You know, we were talking earlier, you know, we said like Instagram is a liar, right? You know, like yeah. a couple of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you don't want your Instagram to be a liar. It wouldn't show every single aspect of your life, of course. But at the same time, you want to maintain a consistency with who you are and what you're doing in the, the various but spaces. Is it more a liar or is it more like showing the best version of themselves? Maybe the best angles. Well, best lighting. There, there's a little bit of that. There's a little bit of curation and everything. Right. Right? There's a little bit of 
preparing for public consumption. But there's, there are also those who completely mislead the public with the things that they do. Right? I mean, I know those are the little stragglers on the outside. But for serious branding people and serious people who are about building themselves, they will ensure that it is as close to possible as real. Especially if you are somebody who has built your brand on authenticity and being real. No, there are some people who build their brand on being a different, a totally different version of themselves, you know, and maybe that is what they want. But if you build on authenticity, which I think is the sturdiest foundation upon which to build, try to make sure things are working in unison all, all around. Now, when I say PR is as important as financial management, I mean a business cannot run, properly run without proper financial management. One or two things will happen. They will either crash and burn. One of several things. They will crash and burn. You will run out of money. You will become insolvent. You will become totally liquid. And every business needs to, have, needs to have a balance between assets and liquidity and that type of thing. Well, you're a financial guy, so you will know that, right? Yeah, assets and liabilities and all that. Right? Absolutely, right? And for any serious business, brand reputation is as crucial as that. Your visibility is as crucial as making that money and getting that money pumped in. Because if an investor would like to, let's say, for example, invest in a business, they need to know that the business is actually doing well, that people see it, people know it. People actually have good things to say about the business. That's right. That is part of the way they assess the value of the yeah, business. It's a sustainability of the business as a good concern. Even. Exactly. Right. right? So that's why I say that PR is as important as financial management. From where I said it actually needs to be part of the discussion in the boardroom. You can't have a board of directors discussing things when it comes to finance and this comes, but they need to also discuss the reputation. They need to discuss communication, the output, image. Those things need to be a part of the strategic discussions, which brings me back to the original point where we started actually about strategy being crucial to building out your communications portfolio and building out your public portfolio, your visibility and credibility. It can't happen any other way. Okay, so it's not mutually exclusive. It's not. Everything works in an ecosystem. That's right. You know, everything has to work together. So sci-fi advice, right? Sci-fi advice. Sci-fi advice. So those people in the corporate jobs who want to get into consulting, how do they start? If you want to get into consulting, I say, have a focus. Know where you'd like. Yes. Um, know where you'd like. So to don't consult. be a life coach. Yeah. <laughs> oh so my don't gosh. be a transformational life coach. Oh, I, I can't endorse that statement, Kevin. I can't endorse that statement. Even life coaches have their value. But even in, even in a life coach, you have to focus. You need to have a focus. Exactly. It can't be everywhere. I need a life coach. You know what, podcast world? If you're a life coach, please call me. I need a life coach. <laughs> My life needs some coaching. <laughs> yeah, but seriously, I agree with you. You need to be specific. Like, what is your specific, you know, verbal? What is your specific value that you're bringing? You, you can't be a generalist. But I would say definitely if you want to get into consulting, have a focus one. Be very clear about what you're offering people. Be very clear about what people should expect from you. So manage expectations. That's very, very important. You know, you don't want people to say, well, I thought you were, I thought this, I thought that, I thought that, you know? Because I think that actually is probably the root of a lot of confusion with people. Right. I definitely say try and develop a system for doing things because that makes your life a lot easier. So you know, you know, you are clear about when somebody comes to you, okay, this is what we do. We start with this, we do this, we do this, we do this, and then we discuss. And if you're happy, we move ahead. And if you're not, we tweak here, here, and here. You can't, to try to develop a custom thing for every person that comes to your door, 
unless you know you're charging them lots and lots and lots of money, it would become difficult to kind of manage that. Oh, that's another interesting point. Yeah. So what do you think about people who, let's say you charge, I know you're talking about underpricing before, so let's say you charge charging $15 an hour. Yeah. You making sense or not? Well, that depends on what kind of dollars you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Even if it's US dollars. <laughs> um, okay, here's how I try to come as a pricing with value. Now, I know how much I paid to acquire the knowledge I have, yeah. right? I would probably have a nice mansion by now mm-hmm. if I use that money to buy real estate. So I understand the investment and the time spent doing certain things. And every day you learn, every day as, as, as a consultant too, you have to be on the board, you have to be up to date currently, you need to be reading all the time, looking at developments in your industry. Because to be a voice of influence, it means that you need to have an opinion on things. You know, people are looking to you to say, when I saw this, what do you think about that? Or I saw that, what do you think about that? To be a consultant and not be able to give an opinion on major industry movements, it attacks the heart of your credibility. So I'd say have a focus, be specific in having a voice, you know, be clear about what you're offering. And in terms of pricing, I'd say you have to know the type of client that you want. It also comes back to the type of client that you want to attract as well. Because there are people who would pay a lot. They expect a lot, but they would pay a lot. They don't mind prices that is for them. Right. And there are people who are price sensitive. But you have to decide. But they still want a lot. They still want a lot, right? But of course, you know, again, managing expectations. People get exactly what they pay for. So in being realistic, I would say it largely depends on the type of client you want to attract. Like I see consultants online who have absolutely no degree. But because they have built their brands, there's a level of conviction that they speak with. People pay a lot of money to hear them talk, to bring them in. Exactly. Because they are consistent and they're on top of their game in terms of knowing what is going on. When something happens, they don't wait for somebody to ask them on their opinion. They give it before the world has a chance to ask them. And those are the people that stand out. Those are the people who... They make themselves relevant by being consistent, being visible, and giving an opinion when it matters. Not just any old opinion, but they read and inform themselves about things that are going on. So it really depends on what you would like to achieve. In my experience, the type of client you go for directly correlates to the confidence you have in your ability to deliver. Yeah. Right? If I know I can access a high-ticket client, many times timid and shy people don't get those types of clients because they just don't feel like they could deliver. And as an entrepreneur, sometimes we suffer from what they call imposter syndrome, you know. Did I do it right? Could I do it, you know? So you also have to kind of surround yourself with a certain type of people and continually sharpen yourself and grow in your field, you know. Because self-doubt is something that comes in as a consultant because remember, you don't have like a colleague to bounce it off of or a boss to say, well, no, this is good or this is bad. It's you alone. It's only you, you know. And you may have other consulting colleagues, but they're too probably going through the same thing. So I think it's important to keep on top of things and look at popular opinion, I know. What your peers are saying, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with, you know, starting the discussion because you too might learn from the discussion and you too might learn from what somebody else has to say. So if I conceptualize all this today and I'm focused, I know I'm going to charge, I have everything in order, all my ducks in a row, can I go start being a consultant tomorrow? Yeah, why not? Exactly. Why and not? And the thing is, there's no consulting degree and yes. there's no consulting school as yeah. yet. You know, people like to create a school for everything. Yeah. Offer <laughs> certification and charge you a thousand US per course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, consulting is about confidence and about consistency. And delivery. And delivery. That's what it's about. It's about, it's 
50, 60% confidence, I'm telling you, because for you to stand up in front of somebody and say, listen, this is what this is. And if you don't want to take my advice, that's fine. But please know that I told you X or I told you Y. Because I want, you have to be confident in order to be a... You can't be a shy consultant because you will make no money. No, Nobody has time right. for timid people. You know, you will make yeah, no money. Yeah, he gave me some advice, but he's not too sure. I don't know. Should I take it? Yeah. <laughs> and, and you see, all that comes back to your communication style as well. It comes back to your ability to deliver something. You sit on a, on a panel or on a, at an interview and you speak with conviction. If you're sitting there and you're unsure about what to say or what to do or you're nervous, and, you know, you're covering, those things speak volumes to people. And it all ties back to branding. Absolutely. Right. See, you see, branding is everywhere. That's why you need a branding consultant podcast, Will. That's why you need me. <laughs> <laughs> Jamila, thanks a lot. You gave a lot of uh, practical tips. You gave excellent advice. Is there anything we haven't covered that you want to leave us with? I just want to remind people again about the SIP and Strategize on the 21st of February. It's just 3.50. So, I mean, come learn and come get something of value that would benefit you in the long run. And definitely come and connect. I mean, we have some great people coming through um, SIP and Strategize. Some big influencers coming through. One of the weeks we had uh, Karan Rose from Droid Island. And he's actually been... Oh, okay. He's actually been hugely influential in the last yeah, year. Yeah, I, I see him a lot on social media. I see yeah. him he's really doing this thing. He actually told me he's at the point where he doesn't actually deal with people walking in anymore. People have to make appointments to get on 10 places. She's just so busy. And it really is that. It's Carol, if you're watching, you know, big up and high. So it really is something that you really have to be consistent on. So come through. Come and say hi. Come and sit. Come and sip. Come and talk. Come and strategize and meet new people and um, connect. Podcast will they have it. A brand new branding toolkit. This was... Your host, Kevin Valley, guest, Jamila Bannister. It's been real at its studios. We are out. <laughs> <laughs>